We are in the fourth week of Advent, um, and I am not very good at waiting. And so it's very difficult when we get through all of these weeks, and here we are, and Christmas is right around the corner, and um, I'm, ready for, I'm ready for us to be there. <laughs> so uh, if you are at all like me, then it might, you might be tempted to skip over love, uh, to just keep on going and finding some other way to fill that space that love might fill, but we're not doing it today. Instead, we are going to read Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. I encourage you to join me in listening for the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call, you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Friends, please pray with me. God, it can be very difficult to sit still long enough to let you love us. We squirm because we try to get away from that intensity that comes with knowing that we are accepted and wanted just as we are. We try to escape to our to-do lists or we get distracted. We look at our phone. We do something else. But we pray, God, that you will settle us, that we will... Be patient in your presence and that you will unfold for us the eternal nature of your love in our lives. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it take for one person to change the world? This time of year, many of us are familiar with the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. We watch as the main character, George Bailey, is shown a world into which he was never born. It's a world where his kid brother is not pulled out of freezing water after falling through the ice. It's a world where his employer goes out of business after experiencing deep grief from which he never recovers. It's a world that has a little bit less hope, a little bit less joy, and a little bit less forgiveness for those people who live in the small town that never benefited from George Bailey's presence. 
But the life that George Bailey did live was never the life that he wanted. He wanted to experience a life that was big, something adventurous and dramatic and breathtaking that would plaster his suitcase with stickers and provide him with stories that he could tell over and over for years. Instead, what he got was a life that was gently shaped by his making one small choice after another. The choice to stay and help his parents when the promise of college awaited him. The choice to remain involved in his father's business when he had a train ticket in hand. The choice to give money out of his own pocket to the panicked community that was running on the bank. The life George Bailey got was shaped by one small choice after another. And all of those small choices together formed a habit that he had of practicing compassion and justice and fairness instead of practicing greed and self-preservation. It didn't make for a big, dramatic life, but it made for a wonderful one all the same. By the end of the movie, when the community floods his house and supports him in his darkest hour, Bailey sees how each of his small choices affected not only the course of his life, but also affected the course of the lives of those around him. And we as viewers get an answer of sorts to our question today. What does it take for one person to change the world? It takes one small faithful choice being made right one after the other. And it takes the perspective that comes from knowing that we are valuable and loved. Mary also had a small choice to make in our scripture story for today. She had to choose whether or not she would trust that God loved her and intended good for her or not. Eugene Peterson's The Message words it in this way, saying that after the angel Gabriel greeted Mary, she was thoroughly shaken wondering what could be behind a greeting like that. The more the angel explained to Mary why he was there, the more questions Mary started to ask. Scripture says that she was perplexed, that she was pondering, that she was asking, how could this be? But the expanded explanation that she gets from the angel just doesn't seem to improve her perception of things. If she becomes pregnant without a husband, her life is going to be hard. For starters, Joseph isn't going to be happy about it. Then she's going to be faced with the whispers that happen behind her back. With the experience of judgments about her character, about her family's character. It would raise so many more questions Would the stigma of her circumstances follow her child? Would anyone else ever know what the angel was telling her right that very moment, giving her some clout, some justification? Would Mary be okay 
Over and over again, Gabriel tells her that she is the favored one, that she has found favor with God, and that she will be considered great among women. But none of his assurances or affirmations appear at all that convincing to Mary as she questions what she is being asked to do. Really, it's not until the angel tells Mary about her cousin Elizabeth that Mary appears to hear the angel differently. After Gabriel had been praising Mary and assuring her and explaining to her what her situation would be for a whole nine verses, he finally says, And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is six months pregnant. Nothing, you see, Mary, is impossible with God. And something in that story, in that information, seems to have changed Mary, to have lifted her. Her cousin Elizabeth was a respected woman. She was descended from Moses' brother Aaron. She was righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all of the commandments. But she had also lived for decades with the shame of not having children. Her life had been shaped by the whispers and judgments and questions about her true value and worth, both as a woman and as a wife. And yet, now the angel was saying that after all Elizabeth had been through, here, God had found a way to show Elizabeth that she too was loved and valuable and favored by God. God had found a way to show Elizabeth that she had always been loved and valued and favored. It's after Mary hears this story of Elizabeth from the angel that she stops asking questions and she makes her small decision, saying very plainly, Yes, I see it all now. I am ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. She then goes on to sing that ancient hymn called the Magnificat that we talked about last week, joyfully singing about how God, she knew and she trusted that God loved her. And not only her, but about how God loved the whole world, all of creation. This one small choice that Mary makes the choice to trust in God's love and goodness and to trust that God's love and goodness were intended for her is a choice that will affect not only the direction of her life, but the lives of the people who are in her community and the lives of all of humanity throughout all of time. What does it take for one person to change the world. Sometimes, when the story of our lives is deeply shaped by our shame, by the whispers that people have said behind our backs or by the judgments 
that we might level against ourselves for our choices or our actions or our inactions. Sometimes when the story of our lives is shaped by our experience of shame, it can be very, very difficult to believe that God loves us or to trust that we have any value in the world. George Bailey was so ashamed that he never went to live out those big dreams that he had, that he couldn't see the immense worth that he had to the community or to God. Elizabeth's shame pressed her into seclusion, keeping her from sharing the good news of her pregnancy that would have ended her shame. She wouldn't share that with anyone except her husband. Sometimes shame or the fear of shame will keep us from trusting that God loves us, that God sees us as valuable, and that God favors us. But if there's one thing that Mary's story can show us, it's that experiencing shame doesn't mean that God is distant from us. In fact, it might very well be the opposite. Because Mary had asked all of these questions and she had been weighing all of those consequences and she knew what God was calling her to do and she knew that it was going to put her in a really awkward situation. It was going to cause people to whisper and it was going to cause people to doubt her character and it was going to make her future husband really, really angry. And yet, she still says to the angel, Let it be with me just as you say. Mary knew from Elizabeth's story that God is not deterred by shame. And God is not deterred by shame. Which is amazing news, my friends, because if our God is not deterred by shame, then that means that we don't have to be deterred by shame either not our own experiences of shame, and not other people's experience of shame. Shame loses its power to influence us. When we know that we are valuable and we know that we are loved, it's why the story about George Bailey has resonated so deeply with so many over the years. Because every day he made these small choices that affirmed the value of the people around him, of his brother and of his parents and of his employer and his customers and his children. Bailey made faithful, life-giving choices little ones at a time. And yet each of those choices exacerbated his own feelings of shame for not living the life that he had always dreamed. And that experience of shame drove him to his most desperate moment. When that desperation almost overtook him, It was the love and appreciation of the community that truly brought him back. This message of Christmas, my friends, is a message of how love came down in the face of our shame and that our souls might feel our worth. 
this Christmas, I really press you to remember that not only are you loved, not only are you valuable, not only are you worthy, but that you, God has made a choice in sending his son to show you that fact beyond a doubt. God doesn't fear shame, not your shame, not mine. Sometimes shame is part of the plan. We have to come to terms with that. So if God doesn't fear shame and we don't need to fear shame, then we have to ask ourselves that question. What does it take for one person to change the whole world? It takes a small, faithful choice made one right after the other and the trust that we as people are loved and valued. So friends, what small choices can we make this week to remind people of their value and worth? How can we live in a way that reflects this immense love?